You're listening to more Morgulons, and on today's episode, we are going to finally start wrapping up that CDC study, the one that may or may have not been of Morgulons people, and that came to the wrong conclusions. Uh, but let's go by point by point, because like I said, if you're going to discredit me, I want to know exactly what you said, and I want to know exactly what you did. Um, because otherwise I cannot discredit your discreditation. And that is what I plan to do pretty much for the rest of my life until, um, we get some answers. Okay. Um, stay tuned. We are going to dive right into it. And I'm sorry, guys, it's kind of a long episode and y'all know I ramble, but this is improv. Okay. I'm way too lazy to edit. Okay. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Results. Case finding and characteristics, prevalence, estimates, and geospatial mapping. The summary of case finding and study enrollment efforts are shown in figure one. The figure one is just those numbers that we went over um, about the number of people who, that did it. A total of 115 KPNC enrollees met our case definition, which sucked. 104, 90.4% were identified by search of electronic health records, representing a prevalence of 3.65 um, per 100,000 enrollees. So very, very small very rare condition, according to them. The rate was higher among females than males and highest among persons 45 to 64 years of age. 11 additional KPNC members who self-identified also met the case definition and eligibility criteria for study participation. There was no geospatial clustering of cases within the 13-county catchment area served by KPNC. Um, yeah, there was no geospatial clustering. Well, that, that's kind of what they were looking for, right? To see if there was an outbreak, because if it was clustered in one area, then maybe there was an environmental source for the onset of the, these symptoms. But um, let's recall, they said, uh, yeah, by the way, Kaiser was going through a transition from paper to electronic health records. And so um, we only used the Kaisers that had electronic health records. Oh, yeah. And by the way, we only did clinical examinations at one Kaiser location in Oakland. Um, so basically, did they just search Oakland? I mean, who knows? So uh, I guess we'll never know about that. Maybe somebody else does. Maybe somebody can um, give us some input on that. Uh, but anyway, case patients had a median age of 55 years. Range was 17 to 93. 89 were female. That's 77.4%. When screened for study eligibility, 81 out of the 115, 70.4% of case patients identified the material emerging from their skin as, quote, fibers. So 70% call them fibers. Nobody's talking about foil glitter. Come on, y'all. Alone or in combination with other materials. Yes, I would say I've had fibers, too. The remaining 34, 29.6%, identified the materials as other than fibers, including specks, 59%. Granules, 56%. Dots, 50%. Worms, 35%. Sand, 32%. Eggs, 32%. Fuzzballs, 21%. And larvae, 15%. I got all those, y'all, plus the glitter and the foil. I got it bad. Cross-sectional survey, a total of 70, 61% of case patients completed the cross-sectional survey. Um, case patients who, why do they even bother saying 115 people? I mean, like, uh, we're only including 70. Okay, anyway, a total of 70, so 61% of case patients completed the cross-sectional survey. Case patients who completed the survey were more likely to be female, but did not differ by age when compared with case patients who did not complete the survey. Data not shown. Yeah, who needs to show their data? The sociodemographic features of survey completers are shown in Table S1. The reported duration of symptoms ranged from 1.3 to 28.6 years. The median was 3.7 years. Remember, median 
is uh, not the average. It's the most frequently found number. Uh, with 69% participants reporting an illness duration of two to five years. Uh, the distribution of cases by reported year of illness onset is shown in figure three. Case patients who reported, quote, non-fibers tended to report later illness onset, but otherwise were similar to those who identified the material emerging from their skin as fibers. Let me read that again. Case patients who reported non-fibers tended to report later illness onset. Um, I guess they're saying they were older when they got it. Maybe so. And then there's like a little figure in. Oh, oh, I see. They're. Um, so they've got the years like 1983, 85, 87 by odd numbers in uh, multiples of two. And it goes from 83 to 2007. And there's kind of like this spike in um, cases around 2006-ish. Um, and uh, yeah, so they're, they're also saying that like people that got this shit in the 80s or the 90s, they were talking about fibers. The people that gotten it in the 21st century, they're the ones talking more about the specs and the fuzzballs and the blah, blah, blah. I guess people that get it in, uh, you know, past the 2000 teens and are getting it this year, they're probably getting glitter and foil. But, you know, God only knows because nobody's doing the research. We will be. Trust me, we will be. Symptoms, habits, and potential exposures. Case patient symptoms are summarized in table S2. There was no specific distribution to the skin symptoms with 74% of case patients stating that all areas of their body were affected. Half of case patients described onset of skin symptoms as gradual. Were, mine was not. Mine was acute. And it was mostly acral distribution, meaning acral means your limbs, mostly hands, mostly feet, and facial as well. Um, some trunk involvement, but generally speaking, uh, head and uh, limbs, uh, but I'd be interested to hear y'all's uh, stories too. The reported sequence of skin symptom onset varied with 57% of case patients reporting disturbing skin sensations as the initial manifestation, followed either by skin lesions and or solid material. Uh, mine personally was sensations of itching and lesions combined, very acute, haven't had any itching since that, um, and the solid materials didn't come start coming out for about nine days after I treated with permethrin because uh, I thought I had scabies. Okay, 16% reported skin lesions as the initial manifestation. 10% the appearance of solid material as the initial manifestation. And 13% reported the triad of skin symptoms began simultaneously. 10 or 14% and 10% case patients respectively reported similar skin symptoms in a family member or friend. Now, this is funny because CDC, so you just, you didn't invite grandma or, or, you know, your buddies to, their buddies to come out and be looked at. We're just, the whole thing about contagion and infectiousness, uh, we're not interested in that. I mean, that's kind of like what most morgies are very concerned about is, am I going to give this to the people I love and care about and strangers? Um, so that would have been nice. Uh, no predominant temporal, diurnal, or seasonal pattern to occurrence of skin symptoms of the emergence of material from the skin was reported. Diurnal means like uh, nocturnal is night, diurnal is day. Um, this is interesting because I've heard most people say that theirs gets worse at night. Um, and also the seasonal pattern thing, again, if, uh, if the local, if there's clusters in the three hottest states in America, Florida, Texas, California, that are all also coastal, that would make me think that, you know, these are uh, these are some this morgulons like it hot. They like it hot. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if there's been any research, any more research about that. Um, sorry, I lost my place. Blah, 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 blah. OK, here we go. Um, with 84 percent of respondents indicating that they had experienced skin symptoms, quote, frequently or, quote, all the time. And six, that's 84 percent. And I would say that mine is frequently. And 66% indicating that they noted fibers slash solid material, quote, any time of the day. I would agree with that. Of the 20% who reported a seasonal occurrence of skin symptoms, 50% reported their symptoms as being worse during summer, 36% during spring, and 14% during winter. Fibers and other material emerging from the skin were described as having a wide range of colors, with most 86% being detected on skin areas with abnormal sensation. I don't have any abnormal sensation with my materials. 73% reported having experienced the emergence of fibers or solid materials from areas where there were no breaks in the skin. That is also my experience. 
Case patients also reported a variety of non-skin symptoms involving multiple organ systems. Non-skin symptoms reported by at least 50% of cases are shown, table S2. Fatigue of uh, equal to or over six months duration and musculoskeletal, musculoskeletal complaints were among the most commonly reported, like my back hurts, my hips hurt, whatever, affecting 70% and 71% of case patients respectively. So we got fatigue and body pain, musculoskeletal complaints. Uh, when queried about habits and other potential exposures, some case patients reported sharing personal items such as hairbrushes, 18%, razors, 13%, and towels, 11%, or sharing a bed with another person, 41%, or a pet, 57%. That's the highest one. Um, the, what I see from this is that if a hairbrush was shared more than a razor, it's probably not probably not bloodborne transmission, which sucks because that means it's harder. I mean, if it's bloodborne, it's harder to catch. You know, you don't just go to the grocery store and get AIDS from somebody, right? Like, um, you, you got to have uh, for for a difficult. Uh, the more easy it is to spread through casual contact, the more contagious it is. Few case patients reported using a hot tub, 17%, or jacuzzi, 15%, residing in proximity to a landfill, 3%, hazardous waste, 3%. That's a pretty high number for 70 people. Out of 70 people, 3% of them were near hazardous waste? Lord, um, can we define that too? Or industrial site, 4%. These are very vague. Or near livestock, 3%. Or orchards, 1%. Or travel in relation to symptom onset, 20%. That's interesting. Most, most 78% reported engaging or having a household member who engaged in hobbies or activities that involved the use of solvents, e.g. furniture stripper, paint thinner, turpentine, charcoal, lighter, fluid. Which is interesting since turpentine is one of the oldest known anti-parasitic uh, substances out there. Um, just just kind of interesting. Those solvents are really bad for you. Um, case patients reported using a wide range of topical and systemic over-the-counter prescription and alternative therapies to alleviate their skin symptoms. No drug or treatment was consistently reported to be effective. That sucks. Health-related quality of life. Over 50% of case patients rated their overall health status as fair or poor. Hmm, I'm sorry, y'all. A proportion significantly higher than reported among California residents or nationally. So, yeah, we're not doing as well as everybody else. Case patients, PCS and MCS, remember that was the physical and the mental uh, health, their, their perception of their physical and mental health. Um, scores were also significantly lower than expected national norms. Remember that mean was 50 and 30 was clinically significant. Uh, for physical, uh, the, the mean was 36.63 and for mental, it was 35.45. So pretty much right in line and still not clinically significant. So we're not doing that bad, are we? We're doing all right. Clinical evaluations. 41 case patients received clinical evaluation. They did not differ in sociodemographics from those who completed the survey, but did not receive clinical evaluation. Who completed the survey, but did not receive. Okay, so they're saying, you know, there were 70 people that did the survey, but only 41 of them were evaluated, but they didn't have many differences between them. And on general clinical examination, six case patients had muscle tenderness. One had cervical spine tenderness. And um, cervical is like the upper part of your spine, like the neck part, you know, um, just FYI. And one had a positive Romberg. Romberg is um, a thing that they do to kind of uh, in the when you do a physical exam to see if a person has any neurological problems. So if you have a positive Romberg, that's indicative of potential, um, you know, neurological problems. And they said somebody in the study had MS and, you know, so that could have been that, that person. None had fever or lymph adenopathy. Lymph adenopathy is simply when your lymph glands are swollen. Lymph nodes, lymph glands, whatever you want to call them. At the time of clinical evaluation, 60% of case patients rated the severity of their skin symptoms as five or greater. Um, 10 was most severe. So that's that Likert scale we were talking about, zero to 10, 10 being the worst. So, um, 60%, the vast majority of them said their skin symptoms were five or greater on that scale. Uh, 37% and 61% respectively reporting having fiber slash material currently present or emerging from their skin within the previous 24 hours. Okay. Uh, so the majority of them said that they had shit coming out of their skin within the last day. Now, whether they had it coming out when they were being examined, who knows? <laughs> 
I mean, just earlier today, there was all kinds of stuff coming out of my hands and it just was just coming and coming and coming, but it hasn't done it in several hours. So if I had gone to go get this clinical examination sometime in the last few hours, it would have been like, this bitch is crazy. There ain't nothing coming out of her hands. Right. Okay. It's all about the timing. I mean, there's only 12 of them. So what are the chances that, you know, all of them would be having this happen when they were being examined? I mean, how long was this exam really lasting? Probably not that long. Um, where were we? Okay, here we go. Type, distribution, and severity of skin lesions. Clinical presentations varied substantially, including, yeah, because y'all didn't pick the right fucking patients, including papules, scars, plaques, patches, macules, and one cyst. Oh, okay. Papules are um, uh, uh, like raised bumps. Scars, we know what that is. Plaques is like, uh, you know, psoriasis when it's like that. It looks like scales, like fish scales or something. Patches, um, I'm not even really sure what that means, actually. Macules, just flat, flat bumps, not flat bumps, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, flat uh, rash, not not a papule, which would be raised. And one cyst, so something that was filled with some sort of fluid. Uh, never, never, never... Um, Okay, sorry. Let me keep going. No case patient had vesicles, bullae, or burrows suggestive of scabies. Um, this is just basically vesicles and bullae are pretty similar, like blisters. And burrows are the you know pathogenomic uh, sign of scabies. That means that's the chief, like distinctive clinical sign pathogenomic. Um, burrows, they're like a, a screwy S-shaped sort of uh, scratch kind of looking thing where they burrow into your skin. Many lesions were crusted, including some that were ulcerated or eroded. Some lesions in the surrounding area showed signs of inflammation, redness, warmth, tenderness. And that usually means infection, which is kind of odd because from what I've read and what I've experienced, we never had any kind of infection in these things um, at all. Uh, hyperpigmentation causing redness, but not warmth and tenderness. Um, a median 17 lesion, lesions, so a median of 17 lesions, were documented per patient. The forearms, right forearm, 83%, left, 71%, back, 68%. Chest, 66%. Face, 66%. And lower legs, right, 63%. Left, 66%. Were the most commonly affected areas. Most arm lesions were on the posterior surface with sparing of the anterior surface. The posterior surface is the top part with the hair on it. When back lesions were present, they were usually sparing of a dumbbell-shaped area in the center of the back, meaning it was like on their shoulder blades and stuff. Clinically, the findings were most consistent with excoriations or chronic irritation, some with evidence of secondary infection, representative skin findings are shown. And then they've got four pictures of people with um, just a variety of weird looking uh, things. One of them does have a blue fiber hanging out of it. Um, kind of. I can't really tell if it's embedded or not. But um, anyway. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, then we're going to go, I like how they suggest that, um, I look this sentence right here, um, consistent with excoriations or chronic irritation, meaning they're picking at them, they're picking at them, they're itching and picking at them. Like, y'all don't know. Y'all really don't know. What does that even mean? Like, what does that even mean? Um, on your back, I don't know who's that flexible in this age group, but not many, uh, neurocognitive and neuropsychiatric assessment. So this ought to be good. Of 41 case patients who underwent clinical evaluation, 36 or 88% completed the full battery of neuropsychological tests. I wonder what those other 12% of people, why they didn't do it. Probably because they were like, I'm not fucking doing this. God damn it. I think I might have been one of those people. Um, complete the full battery. Blah, blah, blah. Case patients had an estimated IQ scores ranging from 84, low average, to 126, high average, with a mean score of 109.9. Pretty smart group of folks here. On cognitive testing, 59%, uh, 23 out of 39 case patients demonstrated impairment in at least one domain. Attention, 18%. And memory, 16%, were the most common areas of impairment. On the PAI, remember that's a personality assessment, 63% of case patients had clinically significant elevations 
in scores for one or more of the clinical domains with somatic concerns the most frequent? 63%. Well, of course they have somatic concerns. Oh, my God. Followed by depression, 11%. Duh. Um, of the 24 case patients with scores suggesting clinically significant somatic complaints, 39% had evidence of coexisting depression. Um, I mean, depression is very prevalent in the general population. And again, how are we defining depression here? Uh, would they be depressed if they didn't have morgulons and everybody tell them they were crazy? Probably not. Um, not all of them. 37% evidence of other coexisting neuropsychiatric conditions. It'd be nice to know which ones. And 50% had T-scores over 87, suggesting severe impairment arising from somatic complaints. Four, 24% had evidence of clinically significant past or present drug or alcohol use. Um, okay. Uh, so, I mean... Yeah, I'm just going to leave that. I'm not even going to comment on that, quite honestly. Okay, laboratory results. Few case patients with abnormalities detected among the battery of blood tests. Few case patients have abnormalities. Most were borderline abnormalities or abnormalities consistent with previously diagnosed conditions, e.g. diabetes, thyroid disease. Some case patients had elevated markers suggestive of inflammation. 12.5% each had elevated RF or ESR. That was that ether erythrocyte sedimentation rate, and elevated RF was the rheumatoid factor. Um, and 10% elevated ANA, the anti-nuclear antibody, which is a non-specific marker for uh, potential autoimmune uh, activity. And 7.5% had C-reactive protein elevated, which again was inflammation. Um, so a very small minority. Uh, which is not a bad, I mean, that's good. We don't want to, we don't want to be any sicker. 8%, 3, 8%, if these are <laughs> Morgulon patients, uh, take it, take it for what it's worth. 8% case patients had anti-HCV antibodies and 5, 12.5%, two borderline, anti-HB antibodies. So remember that was hepatitis C and hepatitis C, uh, B. No case patients had anti-HBC or HBSAG antibodies. One case patient each had a positive or borderline uh, one case patient each had a positive, or so one had a positive and one had a borderline EIA for Borrelia burgdorferi, but none had a positive IgG Western blot. Uh, one of the points that the gay basher on the Holman Foundation made uh, was just that they were uh, using their old criteria for Lyme from the 90s when they did the study, even though they had updated their own uh, diagnostic criteria for Lyme disease in 2008, which was uh, significantly before this was published. And I, I just don't even understand why they did that. Um, why did they, you know, and he made the point, why did they even choose Lyme to light on in the first place? I guess because there had been a paper showing that there was an association. Um, but it's like they clearly manipulated the uh, the results and outcome by not using the appropriate clinical diagnostics by their own definition for Lyme disease. 8% uh, case patients had positive serologies for Toxicara. That was the dog and kitty worms, bless their hearts, and 8% for Strongyloides. Um, so, wow. So basically 16% had worms in them. So 30% thought they had worms. And then 16% probably give or take with a little margin there because not everybody did the not everybody that did the survey did the uh, the evaluation. So a pretty decent number of them actually were right. They had worms. Um, that's that's crazy. At least one drug was detected in hair samples of 50% case patients. These included amphetamines, three people, barbiturates, one person, benzodiazepines, eight people, cannabinoids, cannabinoids, seven uh, people, cocaine, two people, opiates, eight people, and propoxyphene, the mystery drug, one person. All chest radiographs were interpreted as normal. Let me say something about 50% of them doing drugs. Okay, you got a bunch of people that are suffering with this condition that nobody believes them about, and every time they go to the doctor, they get sent to a psychiatrist, um, and I don't find it at all unusual. Did they factor in the fact that, like, probably a lot of these people that were taking amphetamines were prescribed to them 
Adderall. I mean, if, if, if supposedly there's this link between attention and memory and blah, 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 and ADHD, well, they, I mean, how do we know that the people that were on amphetamines weren't prescribed amphetamines because of their goddamn condition? Barbiturates, um, one person, I mean, who knows? Did, did, do we have any background? Did they have a procedure or something, you know, that they were taking a barbiturate? We don't know. We don't know. Benzodiazepines, that's like your Xanax, your Klonopin, your Ativan, uh, eight people. Well, duh, duh. Psychiatrists write scripts for uh, benzodiazepines like they are candy. And if you're somebody that's experiencing depression and anxiety, I guarantee you that that psychiatrist is going to write you a prescription for some Xanax or Ativan or something. So um not surprised to see eight people taking benzos. That seems normal to me. Cannabinoids, uh, seven people. Well, I don't, I don't know what the status of legality was, uh, of marijuana in California when this study was carried out. But I know that, um, that it was probably close to or already at least medically, medical marijuana was legal. I'm not even sure why we're including that. Okay. Um, I just don't think that's appropriate. Cocaine, two people. All right. Y'all party, party animals. Opiates, eight people. Maybe they had pain, people. Do Again, do we have a prescription for the opiates? Are they abusing the drugs? Or are they actually being prescribed these drugs for their existing medical conditions? Because I can guarantee you that, you know, people that are suffering from uh, any of those uh, comorbid disorders that they talked about may at some point need uh, an opiate for pain. And by the way, does anybody get their teeth pulled the day before taking it? I mean, we don't know. This is important information. Before you malign and stigmatize these patients, can uh, can we get a little bit of a background instead of just being like, see, we told you they're all druggies. And then that person who took propoxine, I wish they'd called me and tell me what that drug does. Um, okay, so everybody had a normal chest x-ray. Histopathologic and microbiologic features of skin biopsies. Here we go. Of 41 case patients who received clinical evaluation, 75% were deemed to have lesions amenable to biopsy or to have materials that was present, that was, that were present on the skin for collection. Good typo. Um, biopsies, 62 people were distributed, or no, sorry, biopsies, 62 biopsies were distributed across the entire body surface. 37 were from lesions and 22 from clinically normal skin and three were from undocumented sites. What? How the fuck are you going to do? Oh, my God. So you just didn't even write it down. Dermatologist was just like, oh, I forgot. Sorry. That's kind of important. So we only have 12 people getting, um, I'm sorry, wait, wait, 31 people, only 30. Okay. So let's take clinical evaluation is like completely pointless if you don't have some histological, histopathologic uh testing done so really let's let's shrink that number down even more my goodness um biopsies were distributed across the entire body blah 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 so basically there was only 37 biopsies from quote lesions <sighs> histopathologic features of the biopsy skin lesions were varied and representative findings uh are shown uh, were varied and representative findings are shown. Sorry. Solar elastosis was the most common histopathologic abnormality present in 51% of biopsied lesions. 40% of biopsied skin lesions showed histopathologic evidence of excoriation or chronic irritation, lichen simplex chronicus or prurigo nodularis. So they're saying, oh, these people are crazy nuts that, that had the, what did they call that? Excessive picking disorder or something? Yeah, okay. 16% uh, others had features consistent with an arthropod bite or drug allergy. Wow, okay. A drug allergy or an arthropod bite. I mean, like what? These people were bit like last week or something? You could see that on the biopsy skin? I I'm going to have to do a little bit of background search into what these things means. And I don't know what so solar elastosis is probably age pots, but I'm not sure. So you have to give me time to do my, my, my background research on that. Um, representative histop then they got a figure um, of a bunch of skin cells stained, uh, with gram stains, or I'm sorry, purple and pink stains. So it says epidermal hyperplasia. So hyper means, you know, excessive 
dysplasia is like growth. So overgrowth of the epidermis, the skin with compact orthokeratosis and hypergranulosis and perivascular inflammatory infiltrates in the dermis consistent with lichen simplex chronicus. So um, this means like this person had a lot of scarring and scales or whatever. Um, according to CDC, because they had, you know, the successive picking, but, uh, you know, if they really had more ones, we know that, you know, even if you don't even touch these things, they can keep coming back in the same exact place over and over and over again. Um, focal erosion. And then there's the B, the second one, focal erosion with superficial ulceration and scale crust consistent with excoriation. Okay. We're making another accusation of itching, scratching too much. C, mixed perivascular inflammatory cell infiltrates comprised of lymphocytes, neutrophils, and eosinophils with white blood cells suggested, uh, suggestive of arthropod bite or drug reaction. Well, which one was it? I mean, did y'all look into this person's sample and ask them what drugs they were on and include that information in the study? I don't know. Nope, nope. They didn't bother to do that. We've just decided that everybody's on drugs and everybody's scratching. Oh, my God. Uh, and then the last one, D, figure D, superative folliculitis comprised of eosinophils and neutrophils, white blood cells. Um, eosinophils, remember, are those ones that are associated with parasites, right? Uh, hematotoxylin and eosin stain, original magnifications times 25. Um, superative means like pus, I think. Uh, folliculitis is like an infected hair follicle. Um, this is ridiculous. Oh, my God. Um, and then there's another figure and it says superficial infections processes identified in impetigenous skin lesions of case patients. They're saying that these people had impetigo, which is an infection of, you know, skin that gets crusty and stuff. Uh, a superficial and deep perivascular dermatitis with epidermal hyperplasia. That's that overgrowth and prominent scale crust. This person had that lichen thing again. A heavy growth of strenotophomonas maltophilia was obtained in culture of this site. Y'all, I've never even heard of that bacteria. B, ulcerated skin with purulent exudates and serum crust containing numerous colonies of co cocoid bacteria. Um, that just means the shape of it. It'd be nice to know what it was. Uh, C, they, well, numerous colonies of cocoid bacteria, but they don't identify them? What the hell? That stain, uh, C, number C, that stain intensely, that stain intensely by using an immunohistochemical technique for Streptococcus pyogenes, um, which is another pathogenic bacteria that causes, um, like, a lot of, uh, you know, like, pus and heat and stuff like that. Um, e, purulent, I mean, pussy, serum crusted, that's that clear stuff, um, right, from the blood, from an impetigenous lesion, they're saying they had impetigo, with abundant colonies of gram-positive cocoid bacteria, still failing to identify. F, a heavy growth of Staphylococcus auris was obtained in culture of this site, hematoxylin and eosin stain, immunoalkaline phosphatase with napsol, fast red, and hematoxylin counterstain, and lily torphane, blah, 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 blah. Um, so Staphylococcus aureus is a very, 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 very common, uh, uh, bacteria to find in people's noses and things like that. Um, I, I can't remember what the percentage, but it's like 40% or something have Staphylococcus aureus. It's not uncommon. Um, it's usually not pathogenic unless it's, it's an immunocompromised person. So it's sort of an opportunistic pathogen. Um, doesn't really get healthy people that much. So I don't even know what that means. So that was a random, um, sampling of, uh, of images and descriptions there. Uh, biofringement material was detected in, in 43% of biopsied skin lesions. Most materials detected had the special characteristics of cellulose, uh, compatible with cotton fibers. Okay. 43% of biopsied skin lesions, biofringement material. I I think that means that it glows under black light, but I'm not sure. Well, you, we we got to Google that later. Um, but uh, so spectral characteristics, this is when they put it in that infrared, whatever, cellulose compatible with cotton fibers. Well, yeah, there's cellulose in cotton fibers, but there's cellulose in a lot of things. Um, so that's kind of a jump of, of assumption there. 
Um, in all but two specimens, the biofringement material is located either in the superficial scale crust at the edge of or separate from the tissue or on the biopsy surface and did not elicit a tissue reaction. So they're saying we didn't find, see signs of inflammation in this. So they're saying that it was implanted there, basically, by the patient. It was probably contaminated by the damn dermatologist who doesn't even care enough to write down three uh, biopsy sites in this study of 31 people. <sighs> God. Um, foreign body type giant cells were identified in two biopsies, one containing cellulose, most consistent with cotton fiber fragments, the other a silicone containing material, likely silicates. Both of these biopsies had features suggestive of prior ulceration or trauma at the biopsy site. More um, baseless and underhanded accusations here that the person is itching and they're crazy and they stuck these uh, fibers into their wounds on purpose which they have no actual supportive evidence of. Uh, by special stains, gram-positive bacteria or fungi were detected in 12, 11 participants, um, which is a third, and eight participants, specimens. Um, so, sorry, a third had bacteria and eight of them had uh, fungi. Uh, for six of these specimens, IHC or PCR, uh, that's the immunohistocompatibility, blah, 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 polymerase chain reaction testing uh, of the formula and fixed tissues confirmed the bacteria as Staphylococcus pyogenes, that's common, Staphylococcus aureus, super common, usually not pathogenic, or a Streptococcus species. So these are all pretty common uh, infected sores. Um, again, the people whose sores I have seen that have morgulons uh, don't seem to have infection. I've never had any kind of like infection in my uh, lesions at all. Uh, culture swabs slash specimens, uh, 53 of them, were obtained from open or purulent skin, that means pussy, skin lesions of 28 case patients. Organisms grew from the lesions of 15 case patients. The histopathologic features of the culture positive skin lesions were consistent with secondary infection. No skin lesions had detectable mycobacteria or parasites. Uh, okay, but a good 16% of them did have parasites. Got it. Uh, the 22 biopsies obtained from clinically normal sites were interpreted as histologically normal, except for solar elastosis, sparse superficial perivascular inflammation, chronic inflammation with rare eosinophils, uh, one, focal spongiosis, exocytosis, and solar elastosis, one, and a benign focal intradermal nevus. That means mole. Uh, five of these non-lesional biopsies contained cellulose fibers resembling cotton. Yeah, because a doctor contaminated them all, or the lab did. <sighs> Either adjacent to or at the edge of the biopsy, one had chronic perivascular inflammation and a biofringement material consistent with polyglycolic acid, a substance used in resorbable suture. I'm sure it is probably something that's used in many different things, not just resorbable. You see how they're building up? This uh, passive aggressive kind of case, like not really saying it, but saying like, yeah, they were itching. These people are nuts. They have this excessive preoccupation with these things that are not there. Uh, not to mention we you know, found almost 20 percent of them actually had worms, but whatever. Um, and then, yeah, this is just so shitty. It's just shitty. It's shitty science, but it's also just like uh, like just ethics, man. Like these are people, you know, even if they were like totally obsessive and all had delusional parasitosis, like, I just don't, I don't like the way that these people are being treated. And by the way, these people got biopsied up to five times on their body. Biopsies leave scars. They require um, sutures. You know, maybe that person that had something with sutures was because they were getting a biopsy somewhere else, trying to figure out what the hell was going on with them. I mean, I just don't like this. I just don't like it. Maybe I'm being touchy and taking it personal, but I just don't like the insinuations here. It's not scientific. It's not professional. Uh, and it's not really supported uh, by the evidence. It's just like, here's what we thought uh, that was going to happen, and we made all the data uh, conform to our confirmation bias. That's what I take from this. None of the biopsies containing cellulose or polyglycolic acid had accompanying tissue reaction. So that's another underhanded way of saying they, they implanted this here, probably. They did it. Okay, analysis of fibers or materials from non-biopsy skin sites. This is the stuff where they were just picking stuff off the top of somebody's arm. 
23 fiber or other material specimens were obtained from diverse intact skin sites in 12 case patients. The materials were largely composed of protein, 83%, likely superficial skin or cellulose consistent with cotton fibers, 43%, some with evidence of dyes. Oh, man. Man. Okay. Three samples contained other materials alone or in combination, including polyamide, probably nylon, cellulose nitrate containing bismuth, um, that's what's in Pepto-Bismol, y'all, uh, consistent with nail polish, and polyethylene, possible contaminant from specimen container lid. Um, I'm going to do some research into what I'm going to say about this, but again, I just don't. I don't think that they have done a good study here. It's way too small. It's way too poorly and broadly defined. This this group of patients is extremely uh, heterogeneous, I would assume, meaning that they are all different. There is no homogeneity. There's no similarities that tie them all together. Um, okay, last part, and then we'll be done with this piece of shit. Okay, Um Discussion. In this study, we collected detailed epidemiologic, clinical, and laboratory data to better characterize the features of an unexplained dermopathy, often returned, referred to as Morgellons, or as some people say, Morgellons, or more, uh, what's the other way you say it? Morgellons? Morgellons? Yeah, I just, I just like Morgellons. Among this study population, this unexplained derma, dermopathy was rare, predominantly affecting middle-aged Caucasian women. Over 75% of our cases reported onset of their symptoms during or after 2002, but the epidemiologic importance of this is unclear, as it also corresponds to the time when internet postings related to this condition began to surface. What do they think is going to happen if a new pathogen is out there circulating in the population and the Internet has just sort of been born and been adopted? Of course. Of course. Of course. There's no reason to assume that people are um, increasingly reporting this because they read it on the Internet. The thing to assume or not even you know what? We shouldn't assume anything. There's two options. People are either increasingly reporting it because they read it on the Internet or it is increasingly on the internet because in more and more people are experiencing it. Okay. It could be either way. That was their job to figure out, not to assume. Um, yeah. 75, 75% of our cases report on some of their symptoms during after 2002. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We did not identify clustering of illness within the geographic area served by KPNC and from which cases were drawn. Yeah. I, I already mentioned why I think that that's problematic. They probably just did them all in Oakland, you know? So how could you find out about geographic area? Case patients had a wide range of skin lesions suggesting that the condition cannot be explained by a single well-described inflammatory, infectious, or neoplastic disorder. Or it means that your case definition sucked. Um, a substantial proportion, 40% of biopsy lesions had histopathologic features compatible with the sequelae of chronic rubbing or... Okay, this is where they... I, I might not even have... I might not even have the gumption to read this, you guys, because it is just... I mean, this just makes me mad. Listen to this last sentence in this paragraph. Among the differential diagnoses for the skin presentations detected are neurotic excoriations. That's the bullshit diagnosis that they just made up on the spot. The excessive picking disorder. Uh, yeah. Okay. Atopic dermatitis. Uh, that's the generic thing that all freaking doctors will diagnose you with when they don't know what's going on with you. And uh, brachioradial pruritus. And arthropod bites. Um, I have never heard of brachioradial radial pruritus, but I'm assuming it's something like itchy arm syndrome. I'm pretty knowledgeable, pretty knowledgeable, even for, I mean, especially for a psych nurse, but pretty knowledgeable about my, uh, my, my medical knowledge and, and conditions. I have never heard of brachioradial pruritus. Interesting. I'll look it up. And arthropod bites. Okay. Well, um, interesting. Arthropod bites. <laughs> Previous reports of this condition have described the material merging of the skin being like fibers, hairs, or filaments, but we found a mere, a more heterogeneous description of materials emerging from the skin, with many case patients describing materials other than fibers, including speck spots, granules, or worms. We found no difference in the sociodemographic, clinical, or histopathologic characteristics of case patients who did and did not report fibers. Well, if they did not report fibers, they weren't Morgellons patients. The fibers and materials collected from case patient skins were largely consistent with skin fragments or materials such as cotton uh, and were either entrapped in purulent scabs or crust. Okay, I, again, don't usually see that on Morgulon's lesions, suggesting the materials were from environmental sources, clothing, or possibly artifacts introduced at the time of specimen collection and processing. So y'all did such a sloppy job uh, 
of, of doing this study that you're saying that, well, it might be uh, them introducing and implanting these things because they're all fakers. Or maybe we just were super sloppy and careless and we got we contaminated the samples that were kind of like the whole like crux of the study. What the fuck are the Morgulons? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. <sighs> we explored several possible etiologies and exposures. Our population had flu few clinical or laboratory signs of medical conditions that may be responsible for the symptoms. Yeah, duh, it's a new condition. Despite a wide range of accompanying multi-system complaints, we also did not find a pattern of clinical or epidemiologic abnormality that suggested any specific infectious etiology and where data were available. I mean, what do they mean, any specific infectious etiology? I mean, uh, at least one of them, I think they said, had Lyme bacteria. 16% had a worm. Um, they found a bunch of uh, bacteria, but I, I mean, what? I'm just, I'm just confused. We found evidence of drug use in 50% of participants. Well, maybe because um, you send them all to psychiatry, and the only thing that any psychiatrist ever does is write a prescription. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to a psychiatrist's office, but I guarantee you they don't sit there and say, well, tell me about your childhood. They're like, uh, so how are you feeling? And you're like, I feel like shit because everybody's saying that I don't have um, these things coming out of my skin, and I know that I do, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well... Are you feeling anxiety? Yes. Okay. I'm going to write some Xanax. Are you feeling depressed? Yes. Okay. Here's some Brozac. And um, here's some antipsychotics. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, formication, that's the feeling, the creepy crawly feeling, can be a side effect of drug use, prescription and illicit, and drug withdrawal, but the extent to which case patients' drug use contributed to or was being used as a treatment for the condition was not determined. Well, that would be important, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? And by the way, I, I'm not really, I don't think formication as a, it can be a side effect of drug use, prescription and illicit. It's actually pretty rare. I've heard of um, some amphetamines causing that, but again, it's an extremely rare side effect. Is an extremely rare side effect. And and those other drugs that are on that list, although I can't speak to the propoxyphene, the mystery drug, but um, I've never heard of anybody thinking that they, I mean, in all my clinical practice and in all my personal life, I've never heard of anybody smoking pot and thinking they had bugs under their skin. I just haven't. And plus, it'd be nice to know where they, were, you know, if they were um, started using drugs after they got Morgulons uh, or before, because... Um, if they didn't start, you know, smoking weed or something until after they got Morgulons, then how could you say that the drug was what made them think that they had this condition, um, you know, delusional parasitosis or whatever? doesn't make sense, y'all. Sloppy, 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 sloppy. Stop maligning people with substance abuse issues, okay? They are not bad people. They are not liars. They are not fakers. They just have substance abuse issues. And by the way, um, you know, illicit versus prescription – um, you know, at my previous job doing clinical research, uh, specialty CNS and a lot of psychiatric drugs were being investigated. Do you know what they're testing now for the new psychiatric drugs? <clears throat> uh, let's see. Methadone for depression, uh, special K for depression, um, marijuana for depression, anxiety. Uh, there's MDMA for PTSD. Y'all. The pharmaceutical companies and the psychiatrists who've been telling people for years, you're self-medicating your problems, you're self-medicating your problems. Well, none of their drugs work that well, and now they're trying out the, quote, street drugs for the thing that people were supposedly self-medicating for. Maybe they're better at figuring out what uh, makes them feel better than y'all are. And I'm not advocating drug use by any means because drugs and alcohol, especially alcohol, have ruined lives, ruined lives. And if you've got problems, um, that's usually not going to make things better. Um, but I am saying that, you know, if you're taking an antidepressant daily that helps you and it, it also has side effects. Um, and so there's always a risk benefit, you know, thing going on when you put any drug into your body. Um, and I would say that the people in California who were potentially, you know, dealing with depression or anxiety and they found that, you know, marijuana helped them deal with those symptoms um there's risks and benefits to that drug as well you know i mean this is really 
again, it's like instead of just, you know, pushing out the old propaganda about dare and drugs are evil and bad guys and blah, 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 um, criminals, like, can we actually talk about, like, the science, the facts, what works? I don't know. Anyway, this is going on and on. I don't, I'm just like over it at this point. But um, our study had a number of limitations. Tell me about it. The study was limited to the enrollees at Kaiser at current or recent symptoms, thereby limiting our ability to describe the full clinical course of illness and generalized findings. However, our focus on persons with active or recent illness likely increased our ability to detect abnormal. I'm not reading any more of this. It provides a number of insights. The study was done among a well-defined and highly represented population in California, allowing generation of the first prevalence estimates of the condition, allowing us to look systematically for illness clustering. This is ridiculous. Well, y'all, uh, there's a couple more paragraphs here, and I'm not going to read them because um, this just doesn't really add any more. This is just them defending their choices, and I don't think they made good choices. You can decide for yourself, but at the end of the day, I know they didn't do a good study because their conclusions were that, they, well, A, they didn't properly define who are the Morgies, and B, they didn't ever answer the question, what are the Morgulons? And then they just, you know, just kept uh, pushing that, that uh, delusional parasitosis bullshit. In order to tell somebody that they have a mental disorder uh, to diagnose a psychiatric condition, you're going to need more than a neuropsychologist. Uh, I don't think there was a psychiatrist on this study. So who exactly was it that, uh, you know, evaluated them and could make these diagnoses, these differential diagnoses? I just I am not impressed with this study. I mean, I appreciate the fact that they did it. But um, if they did it just to make people shut up and to silence them, which it sure did accomplish that, if regardless of what their motives were. Um, then, you know, this did nothing, nothing but hurt uh, our cause in our search for uh, information and a cure. Um, doesn't matter. We're winners. We don't give up. We never give up. And we will keep looking and searching and we will keep uh, we will keep being loud and aggressive and uh, outspoken about what we are experiencing and um, I know I will be, and I am positive, positive that the 2020s are going to be the decade that Morgulons is explained and cured. That is my prediction. I don't make many predictions, but that is my prediction, and I, I plan on being here to uh, see it realized. All right, stay tuned.